love is not all you need. In, in this chapter of the book, Counterfeit Gods, uh, Tim Kelly talks about a girl called Sally. And he said Sally had the misfortune of being born beautiful. The misfortune of being born beautiful, which is a problem I don't have. And, and so Sally, as a child, saw that she had this power um, over people by using her physical attractiveness. And it became her obsession. The need to always be attractive and the need always to have love, to be loved, in inverted commas. And so Tim Keller said that at first, she used her beauty to manipulate others. But eventually, others used her beauty, or rather her need to always be attractive, to manipulate her. And she ended up in multiple relationships with uh, men who abused her. And so you might, have, uh, you might have heard, I think it's quite common, that say, how did an attractive girl like you end up with a slob like that? And I'm not pointing to anybody here. <laughs> how did an attractive girl like you end up with a slob like that? And I think the reason was because she felt that she needed to be in love in inverted commas. And, and isn't the saying uh, true that all you need is love? Old enough to know this song? In 1967, John Lennon of the Beatles wrote this song, All You Need Is Love. Seriously, how many actually know this song? Not bad. Huh? So, you know, the power of the Beatles, right? Since 1967, can you imagine? And you would have thought that John Lennon knew something about love. After all, he wrote this song, All You Need Is Love, that even now, since 1967, people know. But you know that John Lennon beat both of his wives and he abandoned one of his children. And today we look at a family in the Bible where one was born athletic, another was born homely, one was born beautiful, and another was born with weak eyes. And we're talking about the family of Isaac. Isaac, last Sunday, you were heard, is the only son of Abraham, precious son. Isaac married Rebekah, and they had twins, Esau and the older one, by maybe minutes, I guess, and the younger son, Jacob. And God told Isaac in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, that the older will serve the younger. But Isaac favoured the older, Esau, over Jacob. And you can expect, possibly, that Esau then grew up uh, a proud, maybe even conceited as the favoured child. And Jacob probably would have grown up quite cynical and quite bitter about it all. And when it was time for Isaac to place his final blessings upon his children, he intended to give it to Esau in defiance of God's choice of Jacob. And so Isaac placed his so-called love for Esau above his loyalty to God. And you know the story. Jacob and mummy Rebecca devised this despicable plan to deceive the old man, Isaac. 
And so Esau got cheated of his birthright. Esau got mad. Jacob had to run away from home. Jacob lost. But he lost more than his integrity. He lost his inheritance. He lost his family because Jacob never saw his father and mother again. And he went to this far away place to where his mother's family was uh, to seek refuge. And then he was hired as a shepherd in, by his uncle Laban, Laban. And so we read in Genesis chapter 29 from verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Jacob, the schemer, the deceiver, he offered seven years to get a wife. Was he stupid or what? Seven years. You never start negotiations with offering your bottom line. What Jacob should have done was seven weeks salary. Okay, and then negotiate, negotiate, and then end up seven months. But in your pocket, you still have seven years. That's what he should have done. But Laban saw how infatuated, how lovesick this boy was. And Laban was then able to manipulate Jacob. So what did Laban say? Laban says, you offer me seven years? And Laban will say, also can. Also can. Now, I didn't check my Singlish Bible, but I think that's how it might be translated. This verse 19. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but it seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Laban didn't say with enthusiasm, all right, yes, this is our verbal contract, seven years labor for the hand of my younger daughter, Rachel. I think he just said, also can, also can. And when the seven years were up, this is how Jacob approached Laban, his future father-in-law, in verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. You know, this verse is actually quite gross, uh, galling, graphic. Let me paraphrase it. Jacob says, Give me my wife. I paid for her. I want to have sex with your daughter now. That's effectively what it meant. And, and that's why I'm so glad I don't have daughters. Because then I will never get a, son, a son-in-law like Jacob. And then on the wedding night, you've read the story. I hope you have read the story in uh, Genesis chapter 29. On the wedding night, the father-in-law, Laban, substituted Leah, the older daughter, for Rachel. And the deceiver got deceived himself. And then he had to work another seven years for Rachel. But let's return to verse 17. Verse 17 says, Rachel had a great body. Uh, it says so in the Hebrew. But when translated into NIV, it's very boring. It says, Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. And I suspect that when Jacob saw this sweet young thing, he saw nevertheless a thing. A thing with a beautiful body, a thing to work for, and a thing to have sex with. Verse 17 says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had perfect eyesight. Did it say that? 
didn't quite. I mean, the logical thing would have been that if Leah had weak eyes, Rachel should have perfect eyesight. But it didn't say that. It says in verse 17, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. I'm sure you would have heard it said that uh, the eyes are the key to a woman's beauty, or maybe even a man. Eyes, you look for the eyes. And that's why I think you have eyeshadow, eyeliner, eyebrow pencil, eye mascara, eyelash extension, iPhone and iPad. Why you laugh? iPad, very important because with the iPad, you can do research on how to do eye makeup. But I think what it really meant was that Leah had ugly eyes and Rachel was beautiful. I think that's the logic, right? One is ugly, one is beautiful. And, and I also learned something. You know, in China, as part of our missions work, we have an eye center in Mengzi, in the Yunnan province of China. And I was just going through some of the details there. And I learned this thing, that strabismus is cross-eye. That's a technical term for like that, cross-eye. Uh, amblyopia, I can't do. Lazy eye, sort of like this one. That one eye, you cannot control. And this poor girl, Leah, was always living in the shadow of a way more beautiful sister, Rachel. So I began to think, can, can beauty be measured? If, if Leah was a six, uh, would, uh, would Rachel be a 10 or 11? Or what? Can it be, be measured? And I found that people do measure uh, beauty. And I found this just for the face, but you know, for the body, for the body, they say that the, the perfect ratio is uh, your waist should be 70% of your hip. Ah, that's like the ideal, okay? So girls or guys, I don't know. You know, guys cannot. Guys must be one is to one. But for the face, for the face, there are 12 measurements uh, in, in this website that I came across to measure beauty. 12 measurements, and then out of these 12 measurements, you work out seven ratios. Okay, let me just show you two of them. One of them is from the top of your head to your chin, divided by the width of your face. So that's the overall shape of the face, okay? And that perfect ratio is 1.618. That is the Fibonacci ratio, okay? The, the golden number. For some reason, God, God has created that uh, in, in uh, I think, stock market or the seven waves, in, in architecture, in, uh, I think, even biology. There is this magic number, 1.618. It even sounds good in Cantonese. Ya lo, ya fa. Okay, <laughs> for some reason. Okay, so that's the ratio. Another one is the, the outside distance between the eyes, like here to here, uh, divided by the hairline to the pupil. And what is that perfect ratio again? 1.618. That's what somebody says. Okay, this is like the definition of, of beauty. Okay, let me blank this off. I, I know I'm digressing too much, but how do you think Leah felt? How do you think Leah felt? By, by deceit, she got herself a husband. But her husband continued to have eyes only for baby sister Rachel. And from what we can read in Genesis, I think that then Leah came up with a different strategy. Okay, Leah would have said, well, I may not be beautiful, but I can be bountiful. If I continue to give Jacob sons, then he will love me. So out came Reuben, the firstborn, of Jacob's sons. Reuben means behold a son or see a son. And 
the Bible tells us, Leah was thinking, now, now I will be really seen and noticed by my husband, Jacob. But Jacob continued to have eyes only for Rachel. So, so Leah would say, okay, 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 try again, try again. And then out came Simeon, the second son, which means to hear. And, and Leah would have said, oh, Jacob now will really hear me. I'll no longer be a dumbo to, to, to Jacob. But again, it didn't work. So he said, okay, okay, try again. Out came Levi, which means attached. And now Jacob's, hearts, Jacob's heart will be attached to mine and we will live happily ever after. But sorry, still no connection. Meanwhile, little sister Rachel could not bear children. And so she came up with this great idea. Hey, Jacob, I give you my maid. Now go have babies with her and the baby will be mine. And Jacob says, uh, sure not. Let me think about it. Yes. Okay. And out came two more sons. And Leah caught on very fast. He said, hey, my sister can do that. I also will give you my maid. Nah, go have sex with her. And once again, Jacob says, let me think about it. Yes. And out came sons seven and sons eight called Gad and Asher. And then came a very strange stock exchange story is what I would call it. An exchange of one night of sex in exchange for some ginseng. Okay, Leah gave Rachel some mandrakes, it says in the Bible. Mandrakes look like ginseng because they look like a figure of a man. It's kind of, of a root, although they are not the same thing as I, as I uh, found out. And in return, Rachel gave husband Jacob to elder sister Leah for one night of sex. Okay, very strange. But, and out came son number eight. Okay, I think we're going to stop here. Huh? It's getting a bit boring already. Final score, 3-1, Singapore won. Yay. Final score, 12 sons, one daughter, one tired man, Jacob. But let's take a closer look at this, this dysfunctional family. Why was Jacob so gullible to give seven years for one wife and then another seven years? Okay, he got cheated. 14 years for Rachel. I sort of guess that he was so dejected, he was unloved. His father loved brother Esau more than him. And after his deceit and his lie, whatever little love that Isaac would have had for Jacob would have gone to zero, I think. Or worse, would have turned into hatred that my son Jacob would dare to deceive me this way no love. And so he had to leave home and he also left the warmth of his mother's love. And then he saw this sweet young thing. He saw this sweet young thing which became his magnificent obsession. She was going to solve all his problems of loneliness, not being loved, of rejection. And he would have said, I will be respected when I have this beautiful woman in my arms as my wife. She will love me and she will save me from my misery. She will be my salvation. Tim Keller referred to this book, The Denial of Death. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning book. I tried to read it. Heck of a difficult. Okay. Every sentence I struggle through is like, you'll you find out, you know. Quote parts of it. The romantic solution. 
the self-glorification that a man needed in his innermost nature, he now looked for in his love partner. The love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. And all spiritual and moral needs now become focused in one individual. In one word, the love object is God. It's the idea that if we can just find our love partner, this one true love, our soulmate, all our problems will go away. It will be solved. And so Jacob, you can say, had this idol. This idol of romantic love. Get a beautiful girl, get salvation. And now about poor Leah. Poor girl, always living in the eye shadow of, his younger, of her younger sister. Everybody was idolizing Rachel's beauty. And so Leah began to make an idol of her own. She needed to find her salvation. And she would have said, I know, mine will not be this beauty that fades. Mine will be traditional values. Yes, a man and a fine family of many children, if possible, all sons. And you've heard it before. Sometimes you hear that when a marriage is not doing well, the couple will say, or maybe more usually the wife will say, let's have a child. Once we have a child, it will draw the family together and we will live happily ever after. And I think, okay, I conjecture, the wife will think this way. If my relationship with my husband doesn't improve when the child comes, then I will pour all my love and, and attention onto the child, forget about the slop, and I don't lose. I don't lose. I have a child to love now. I also think that Jacob never really got over the fact that Leah conspired with her daddy to cheat him of seven years of his life. And Jacob might have asked on the morning after the wedding, Leah, why did you deceive me? I called for Rachel and you answered in a place last night. You liar. And Leah might have retorted, your father called for Esau and you answered in his place. Same difference. And since you will now not have sex with Rachel for the next seven years, I'm all you got. But I'll promise you to be a good wife. I'll promise. I'll give you sons. Then you will learn to love me. I can't see too well, but you see. You see. This is how it will Now, how about Isaac? The father, Isaac. Isaac might have said, if I can just get Esau to take over the family business, I pass him the firstborn inheritance and all my blessings, my legacy will be assured. It'll be safe. Or Jacob, if I can just get this sweet young thing, Rachel, all my miseries will be gone. She will be my salvation. Or Leah, if I can just get a husband, even though his heart is not fully with me, if I keep on giving him sex and sons, I will be somebody in the village. I will be safe. Some say that the behavior of Jacob was that of an addict. Seven chips for one game. Big chips, seven years. Missed Rachel, never mind. Try again. Another seven chips. But you think about Leah. Leah was also a bit of an addict. Only thing that was uh, her gambling chips were sex and sons. And so what Esau was to Isaac was what Rachel was to Jacob 
and was what Jacob was to Leah. You can say that each had their idol. Each had their counterfeit God. And so that's the end of the introduction to the sermon. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you that I've been very impacted by my own sermon. Okay, I didn't say impressed. Huh? I said impacted. And I learned something as a result of preparing this sermon. Uh, but first of all, you need to know that I'm a diehard romantic. Okay. And I thought that working 14 years for a beautiful woman, that's way tar, right? That is awesome. It's so romantic. It's, it's to be praised. But, and it, it never crossed my mind that until I read this book that there is an element of idolatry in there. That even love, in inverted commas, can be worshipped as a counterfeit God, as an idol. And I think that's why God says in the Bible, God is love and not love is God. I love my wife. I love my girlfriend. I love my best friend. And they're the same person, okay? Same person. <laughs> as, as a young man, as a young man not so very long ago, I felt so proud to have this beautiful girl in my arms and then I go showing off to my friends. You know, I would say something like, Nah, 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 nah. My wife is beautiful. My girlfriend is beautiful, and yours got weak eyes. Oh, nah, 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 nah. She has agreed to marry me, and you're single. So, what is wrong with romantic love? What's wrong? It's great. It's a great feeling. But I think there is a very easy test, which I, I would have failed in my younger days, failed easily. And the easy test is this. If God were to take away my girlfriend or my wife, young wife, at a young age, I don't think I could have worshipped this God anymore. Seriously. I don't think so. That my life will be destroyed. My faith will be destroyed. And I don't think I can worship this God anymore if He were to take her away. This love of my life. At the marriage enrichment weekend, which I attended last, last, uh, last week, it was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the speaker, Jeffrey Goh, made us husbands repeat this. So if there are any husbands here, you might want to repeat after me. Darling, no, no, I, I hate speakers who do that, okay? So don't do that. He made us repeat this. He said, darling, if you live to be 100, I want to live one day less than you because I cannot live one day without you. <gasps> Romantic, right? Actually, it's not romantic, it's Roma. And then, very quickly, say, wives, repeat after me. How xiao. <laughs> Which means, like, you're lying. But, I don't really quite agree, as romantic as this looks to be, with, with Jeffrey Go. I think he got it wrong. Because I want my wife to die first. Say, How can you say that? Because I really do not want her to suffer the grief of having to plan my wake services and funeral and all that and then, and then live as a widow after that. You know? So I think my wife should die first. You know, a, a girlfriend, a wife, is, is so important to me. It's, it's very important. But is she an idol? Is she a counterfeit god? A girlfriend, a, a, a wife for my sons are also very important to me. But would they become idols? Would they even become my idol? Grandchildren are also very important to me. 
but will they become idols to me? Well, I asked my son, the one who's married, I said, so, when are you going to give me grandchildren? Okay, I didn't say that. I, I said it this way. I said, so, what are your family plans? Same thing, right? Same thing. All I can tell you is, I was very satisfied with his answer, okay? Now, don't you go now and check with him. Hey, so what do you say? What do you say? All I can tell you, and take it from me, that I was very satisfied with his answer. Even in my old age now, I still read books like this. How to get a date worth keeping. Be dating in six months or your money back. This is a book by Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist. I would highly recommend this to uh, you, you young ones. I read it so that I can pass it to my sons. Okay, don't get me wrong. <laughs> and then I say, there'll be a test after that. So really, I give it to my sons. Um, but you see that Jacob was obsessed <coughs> with being in love with this sweet young thing. And Leah was obsessed by, oh, I need the love of a man. And both of them thought that these counterfeit gods would fill this hole in their hearts. Some time ago, I overheard two Christian single ladies in their 40s talking, and they are lovely Christians, faithful, abounding in the work of the Lord. One of them said to the other, Hey, have you heard Miss So-and-so is getting married next month? And then the other single lady said, Oh, so she finally succeeded. And then I almost opened my mouth to say, so she succeeded, means you two have failed? But I didn't say that, okay, because I, I'm not yet tired of living. But you can see that there are no failures, right? Who's the failure here? Both of them were living meaningful, God-honoring, faithful lives. It so happened that they were single and a friend has gotten married. So let's come back to the story of Leah. There's, there is a spark of revelation in Genesis chapter 29, verse 35, that Leah conceived again, and uh, this is baby number four, okay, son number four. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. This time she turned her eyes away from this counterfeit God, this, this idol who was going to satisfy her to the real God. And she was able to praise the real God. And I think that this is the key in tackling this most insidious of all counterfeit gods, I would think. This counterfeit god of, of love or, or, or romantic love. And, and this kind of love you don't need, okay? It is not the song that love is all you need. This kind you don't need. But unfortunately for Leah, if you continue reading, she backslided uh, by following her sister's example to give the maid to, to Jacob, and, and then strangely enough, later on, after exchanging the, the ginseng, uh, the mandrake, she had two more sons and a daughter as well. But for that brief moment in verse 35, after son number four, Judah, she praised the Lord. And this is the secret of unlocking this trap of idolatry, to praise the Lord. To praise the Lord, you need to thank Him. To thank Him, you need to have this contentment that comes from God for what He has given to you. All your loves, whether you have or do not have a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, sons and daughters and grandchildren even, they are but gifts. They are not gods. 
And so you hold your gifts with open palms. You don't hold on to it so tightly that you will kill it then. Can you imagine like you have a pet bird, a canary or a pet hamster? I love my hamster. I love my hamster. You will kill it. How did Job, from the book in the Bible, Job, the one who suffered so much, how did he praise God when he seemingly lost everything? Job chapter 1, verse 21. Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave. He held it with open arms. The Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And still he was able to praise the Lord. He praised the name of the Lord with his palms open. There was nothing there for him to grasp. Another quotation from this lady called Corrie Ten Boom who survived the Holocaust. And she said, Hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God prized your finger open. Right? If you're kind of holding it so tight and you have, God wants to take it away, then God's got to pry it open. And someone else also said, Hold lightly what you value greatly because it is not yours anyway. So hold it lightly. Because what we are obsessed with, what we like hold like that, we inadvertently worship. And what we worship becomes our God, whether they are counterfeit ones or the real one. And our gods are whom we serve, what we become slaves to. And so you can think about it in Abraham's eyes, as we learned last Sunday, it could have been that Isaac was his final security. In Isaac's eyes, Esau, the firstborn son, would have been his security. In Jacob's eyes, his significance as a man was to be found in a beautiful woman, Rachel. And in Leah's eyes, her significance as a woman was to be found in a man, in a flawed man, Jacob. So what do, we, what do people say? People say that uh, beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder, right? And I think you can think about it this way. Our beauty, whether we have weak eyes, whether we have a perfect 1.618 ratio, are in the eyes of the beholder, with a capital B. Our security and our significance are in the eyes of the beholder, capital B. And it's not as though I'm saying here, okay, you've you got to love your wife less huh? and, 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 and all that, but it is that we need to love God more. It is We need to love the beholder more and not so much as to love your, your boyfriend or girlfriend or wife less because the beholder first loved us. And in order to love God more, we need to give thanks in all circumstances, whether we have weak eyes or less than 1.618 ratio, whether we are single or married or childless or have many children. And, and like Leah, not just for that one moment, this time I can praise the Lord, but for this time I can praise the Lord, the next time I can praise the Lord, and the time after that I can praise the Lord. And I will thank God because I'm contented and I appreciate God for what He has given to me now, this time, also next time. And I will hold lightly to what I value greatly. May the name of the Lord be praised. Um, musicians, can you come and help us with the closing song as I conclude this few remarks? You know, this morning, i like us to examine our hearts. Do we have an obsession like Jacob that oh, must be in love? 
And a good test would be this. Can we praise God if this so-called love in inverted commas would be taken away? Do we have an obsession like Leah to be loved by some slob? <laughs> Even imperfectly, that's better than nothing. To have by our spouses or children or grandchildren. And, and but we need to look at the people we love, who we value greatly, or this ideal of a husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend through the eyes, through the lens of the Beholder, capital B. And, and to give thanks, to give praise for these gifts of, of love. Because they are imperfect, they are all flawed anyway. And, and they will hurt us. You know, last weekend, we had this great time, marriage enrichment weekend. It's when Friday night, we have candlelight dinner on Saturday night. And then Sunday, we had half a session. By Sunday evening, Angeline and I were already quarreling. It's like, hey, you just been through a marriage enrichment weekend and then over some stupid thing, you know? It's like, what? It's just imperfect, flawed. And if not through the eyes of the beholder, of Jesus, where there's the ability to forgive and to have grace, then it's like, wow, forget it. Lah. <laughs> After marriage, we can like that, and then this relationship is not worth very much. <laughs> so the eyes of the beholder, the bridegroom, Jesus, who loved us and gave himself on the cross for us. We see through those lens. Okay, I know that in this service, many of you are looking for love, I assume. But let me just say that don't be obsessed with the need to find a life partner. Don't be what we Cantonese would say, come, come, tang. In case you don't understand, I don't know how to explain. Obsessed, uh, the word is obsessed. <laughs> and I recommend that book by Henry Cloud, again, after all, he's a Christian writer. How to get a date worth keeping and be dating in six months or your money back. I don't know how the money back works, but that's the title of the book. And, and he's got a lot of sound advice that's sort of like the more obsessed you are over getting a mate the more uptight you are the harder you squeeze you're going to kill it okay, so let me now make a pitch for the YA camp <laughs> okay don't go there like obsessed uh, let me find who I can date then you will squeeze the hamster to death go there to develop a godlike character a godly character go there serve. Go there, be helpful, be, be friendly, learn. And, and don't go there to, to look for a bride or a bridegroom. Look to the bridegroom. Look to Jesus and develop the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and all that. Because if your character is flawed, if you are selfish, then my suggestion to you don't inflict it on your spouse. Better don't have a girlfriend <laughs> if you're like the selfish and the weird kind, you know? Don't inflict it on somebody else. You know, there is a chapter in this book by Henry Cloud. The title of the chapter is Beauty is only skin deep, deep. But character goes all the way to the bone. You know, I am you, cool. <laughs> I love you to the bone. Um, yeah, maybe I share something personal here like when I was 17 or 18 years old one of my good friends turned to me and they said Kokpai you're just terrible it's like your character is terrible because he said I never see you talk to not nice girls 
Every girl you talk to and approach are the nice-looking ones. Like you avoid the so-called ugly ones. That kind of character you want to marry. Uh? You know, what kind of a boyfriend are you going to be? If you, then next time there's a nicer one, you go to the nicer one. So it's, it's the inner character that is, that is important. That beauty is only skin deep. It's that character. So if your character is sound, weak eyes can be acceptable. You will still be attractive, but you will not be trapped by this idolatry of pursuing uh, what is romantic love and physical beauty. This time, you can praise the Lord. Next time, also can praise the Lord. Why don't we rise and we sing this song together. All I once held dear, built my life upon it.
pray together. Lord, we look to you. You know the desires of our heart. You know that love is good. Romantic love is good. But we do not want it to be a counterfeit God or an idol. And so, God, I want to pray for each one here, Lord. As, as each one lift up your heart's desire before the Lord. God knows. God knows the desires of our heart. And we are free to express that to Him. But our priorities must be right. God is not saying love or desire these things less. But God is just saying love me more. Place me first. Yeah, let that be that godly order and all these things will come after it in its proper place. That the God who loves us, He sees beauty in us, that beauty lies in the eye of such a beholder. Beauty, beautiful are those whom He has saved. He covers us with His love and grace. Let us also consider the things that we are holding dear in our lives. Are we squeezing it to death? Or do we have them on open palms? And if it, if it helps you even now as we pray to open our palms before the Lord, Lord, these are the things that we hold so dear to us. value so much. We thank you that you've given these gifts to us. And that's why we can praise you. Because we see it as coming from you. But Lord, help us not to squeeze it to death. Instead, help us to develop the fruit of the Spirit we will have a godly character. We will be beautiful not just in the eyes of you, the bridegroom, but in the eyes of fellow Christians around us. Develop in us the fruit of the Spirit. That people can see that we are loving people that in spite of stormy circumstances, we are peaceful people. That in spite of difficulties in the life, we are joyful people. We are patient people. We are faithful people. We have self-control. We are gentle. So we bring our requests before the Lord. I encourage you to come to the altar and just lay it before God. And we can pray together with you. Above all, that we ask or seek, but most important, that inner character, that it is on the path of growing and growing in God-like character. So thank you, Lord. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, that 
every young person here there is so much to live for there is a whole life of exciting things that we're going to be journeying together with you whether we are with boyfriend with girlfriend wife or husband this is the one area that we place in your hands Lord. that we will honour you first and all these things will come and that you will not withhold anything that is good from us you want us to have abundant life and so Lord we receive it for this time this moment this time like Leah I will praise the Lord today I will praise the Lord tomorrow too and the day after so God thank you for giving to us that richness in our spirit continue now to develop each one of us into Christ likeness into the fullness of the spirit that we will be attractive people so we pray in Jesus name Amen altar is open if you like to just have somebody pray together with you we'll be happy to do